Hi guys, thanks so much for watching Speaking Of. Today I am super excited because I have Dr. Christopher Robinson, who was actually my maternal fetal medicine doctor when I was pregnant with my daughter. So he is a partner at Charleston Maternal Fetal Medicine and also at East Cooper Maternal Fetal Medicine Specialists. And on top of that, he is a media editor for one journal, medical journal, an associate editor for an additional one, and on a board or two. So, Dr. Robinson, thanks so much for being here. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. Tell us real quick about your work with the journals that you work with. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's very interesting work. You know, one of the highlights of working with journals is really looking at what is up and coming, what are the uh, new areas of science, you know, how are we going to push clinical care into the next decade? How are we going to improve outcomes for women? How are we going to improve outcomes for their unborn babies and their, and their newborn babies? And I think those things are very important in looking at the directions that we move um, as we move year to year. Because certainly pregnancy is one of those things that often has been understudied. Pregnant women have not been given the opportunity to really be involved in studies. And so now we are really seeing kind of a, um, a rebirth of research around pregnancy where we're going to really understand how does the placenta work? How does the placenta work to support the baby? How do medications interact with pregnancy? Which ones should we continue? Which ones should we not? You know, a lot of those questions are being answered. But some other things that you know, have been common problems. Uh, if we look at the great obstetrical syndromes, as they're known, of, known as uh, preterm birth, as well as preeclampsia, probably representing a lot of the morbidity and mortality. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're catching up. And that's the way I think about obstetrics in many ways is that if you go back and you look at cardiology and the management of heart disease, the management of stroke, those areas have been researched intensely for years. And finally, women and pregnant women have a place where research is also very important for them and ensuring their inclusion in research is important. What is maternal fetal medicine? Because it's an area that unless you have a high-risk pregnancy and you get referred to a maternal fetal medicine doctor like yourself, people don't know that it exists. No, absolutely. I think, I think the first thing that happens, certainly when a person is referred to maternal fetal medicine, is there's usually fear. You know, the, the question of, you know, why do I need to see a specialist? And is there something that I'm not aware of or there's additional risk in my pregnancy? But what people don't realize is that the purpose of maternal fetal medicine is really to improve outcomes. It's really to examine all of the things that are going on in a pregnancy or with a mother's maternal condition, it can be a health condition, it can be something like hypertension or diabetes. You know, it could be something like exposure to something. Certainly now we're living in the COVID-19 post-pandemic or intra-pandemic, I would describe it, world. And so sometimes it's infections, things of that nature. Sometimes it can be the health of the baby. You know, we're really trying to improve the health of the baby. Maybe growth is not ideal you know, things of that nature, or maybe it's based upon a prior pregnancy history. In other words, the person has already lived through a pregnancy that was affected by a condition. The key in looking at maternal fetal medicine is we work to improve the outcomes for both mother and baby. And we work to ensure that, that both of those things are focused on as well as looking at what things can we alter? What things can we do to improve 
the outcome for that mother and baby. Certainly one of the things I think that women feel is a lot of, a lot of being out of control. So in other words, uh, is the outcome out of my control? Well, we try to put the control back into place for that mother, you know, help that mother to understand all of the things she can do to help improve that outcome. And I think that in and of itself is one of the greatest powers that a pregnant mother can have is feeling in control and knowing that she does have some capability to change the outcome. I felt that personally with you because I didn't feel like I had control over it and I had preeclampsia and then progressed to severe preeclampsia and I actually think I was right on the borderline or got help when my daughter was delivered. I remember thinking like, that, what can I do about this? And in full disclosure, you said preeclampsia has been around since biblical times and we don't know, you know, we don't know everything about it and we can't figure it out and that is an area that you study a lot to try to find those answers. But I loved that while you can't get a true yes or no in most things in medicine because you just can't determine that, you were so great about giving me the level of risk. You said if you're on a ladder and that you're on one of the lower levels and you're falling and skinning your knee and at the top you're falling off of a bridge, you said you're halfway up the ladder and you're not definitely not getting lower, but we're going to do everything we can to get you as far as we can before you're getting to the top, which was such a tangible way to think about that. One other side note, you had somebody in your office who worked and she said that she had a goldfish that she kept alive for like eight years. And I was like, okay, if his team can keep somebody, a goldfish alive for eight years, then this man is able to do all these amazing things. I'm going to be in great care. And I really, I felt that from beginning to end with you. It was so great. But that was one thing that you really excel at. You're so great about explaining where people are and tampering the fear. I think that's critically important. I, th I think that you can't live in a state of fear. You've got to live in a state of control. And I think it's really important that, number one, you know, the mother needs to know the truth about everything that's going on. But you have to be able to conceptualize that in a way that the patient can understand. I do have control and I do have the capability of doing these things that will help me along the way. And, and certainly the focus is always on that end point, which is mother and healthy baby, because everything is a trip. It is about, you know, an experience, an outcome, and we want that to be a good outcome. And then it's also important that they understand why it's happening. You know, I think a lot of times that when things are not going the way we plan for them to go, we like to self-focus and say, you know, how is it that I could have changed this? What are the things that I did wrong? And really, that's not the case. I mean, the sad part of preeclampsia is it really does, you know, filter down to the placenta. It's not something wrong with the mother. It's not something necessarily wrong with the baby either. It really is the placenta. And a lot of people uh, lose focus on, you know, everyone's always looking at the baby, the baby, the baby. How is the baby doing? And that's very important. But always remember that the baby is a byproduct of the placenta. And the placenta really is doing about 70% of the work of the pregnancy. The baby is about the other 30%. And so really, placental health has become a real focus in our specialty. You know, how is it that the placenta can be maintained? How can the placenta be optimized to support that baby? We like to use the analogy of when a person has a glucose load, which is a sugar. So let's say, for instance, you have um, you know, some type of meal and it has some sugar in it. 70% of that actually goes to power the placenta. 30% goes to the baby. We recognize that preeclampsia is probably the 
culmination of events that took place in the very early part of that pregnancy. So in other words, you know, when implantation takes place, that first pregnancy test, when we know that the pregnancy has been established, that's when you first realize that the placenta is developing. The placenta is establishing mm-hmm. what is going to happen for the rest of pregnancy. So if we can really understand, you know, how to improve placental health from very early in pregnancy, it's very possible that we can change outcomes across pregnancy. Currently, the treatment for preeclampsia is delivery of the baby, and that's the, that's the part that we're concerned about because if you look at preterm births across the United States, about a third of them come from a medical indication, and one of those leading medical indications is preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's really critically important to us to really understand how is it that we can improve the placentation from early in pregnancy. And so we have done some things that seem to suggest, you know, improved outcomes. One of those really simple things is a low-dose aspirin. Hmm. So the U.S. Preventative Task Force, for instance, has found that just giving a mom a low-dose aspirin can reduce that risk of getting preeclampsia later on. There's other European literature that even suggests that fetal growth is improved and the way the placenta develops may be impacted substantially by a low-dose aspirin in the appropriate use, appropriate pregnancy. Now, I think that's always something you need to talk to your doctor about as to whether you start on it. But what we do recognize is that probably the number of people who are indicated to be on a low-dose aspirin is much greater than those that are not. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's one of those good questions to ask, you know, when you're talking to your doctor about, you know, your pregnancy and how do I improve pregnancy outcomes? Is there a role for me in low-dose aspirin? Well, you talked at one point about mm-hmm. your goal being a healthy mom and a healthy baby. What does, in your practice, a healthy baby mean? Does that mean a baby that maybe was born prematurely and can survive, or does that mean getting them to full term? So I think ideally it's always getting to full term. So when safety is present that allows you to get to full term, that is the most important outcome. We know that full term babies have the ability to do additional development in utero that's important for postnatal life, and we think that's critically important. However, we also recognize that they are, there are conditions that may intervene that preclude the ability to say, I'm going to go to full term. You know, some of those things can be diabetes, patterns of fetal growth, low fluid around the baby, um, the preeclampsia, hypertensive disease of pregnancy. And the reason we look at those conditions differently is because we know those conditions carry a higher mortality rate. So the worst case outcome certainly is a baby that doesn't survive because the baby did not have the opportunity to be born alive. And I think that is what we're always balancing. You're always balancing, is the baby better on the inside or should we bring this baby outside? A good example is a baby that's not growing. Um, A baby on the inside that has failed to achieve growth or is not growing normally or its growth has plateaued or it's no longer growing or the blood flow to that baby from the placenta is having difficulties by, you know, looking on ultrasound and seeing that. Those are babies that probably belong on the outside. So those are babies that, you know, we can take them out, we can feed them, we can grow them, assist them in their further development on the outside. And I think that's important too. So that's what you're always asking yourself and that's what you're weighing. Um, But fortunately, in many cases, we can prolong that pregnancy to get that person to term. And it's just about optimization. It's about looking at all of the things that we can do on the 
pregnancy side of the equation. What can the mom do? Those sorts of things to optimize growth. Things like focusing on protein intake, removing things that may have you know um, adverse uh, outcomes with growth. Things like smoking. We look at you know have we attained um, adequate weight gain over time? Those sorts of things. And then we look at interventions like aspirin and vitamin D supplementation in women who have hypovitaminosis D. Doesn't have the strongest evidence with vitamin D, but there is good evidence that there is um, some effect on placentation and placental development. What is the best day at work for you? What makes you excited about your job? Yeah, I think it's giving patients good information. You know, number one, it's education. I think one of the things that can be very empowering for a patient is education. One thing that's very different about the way we practice medicine is we sit down just like we're doing today and we talk with the patient. It's not a rush in, rush out sort of situation. If you have questions, there's no question that's not important. And I think the empowerment comes with when you understand, just like when you discussed early on in this conversation, when you understand what the impact is and how you can control your outcome and you understand all the parameters, you leave feeling much better. There's nothing that's better for empowerment of women than education and providing them with control. And I think both of those things are critically important. But I think giving people good news and giving people hope and guiding them down a process and guiding them through their pregnancy is one of the most important things we do. And there's nothing that makes us happier than getting emails and pictures after that takes place. I mean, I think that is also important too, that, you know, it gives us that, that goal of going in every day, providing that type of care and ensuring those outcomes. That's so great. And that's what you guys really do work for. And you just, I can't describe how fabulous it was going to your office and seeing you guys because it wasn't a scary visit. You know, sometimes when you're going to just other doctors and it's, you can feel like it is just kind of a conveyor belt of people. You know, you're going in, you're getting your blood pressure, you're going around into the gown, the doctor's coming in and you're going out. And it never felt like that with you guys because you really did take all the time to answer the questions. Sometimes I thought this man is never going to be, to be able to stay on track with all these questions I'm asking him. But well, never I think, did you rush? You know, I think, it's, I think it's important not only to focus on the problem at hand, it's important to get to know the patient. And that's one of the things that happens, you know, with our patients who have high-risk conditions where they do need to be followed. Certainly there are some patients that come and see us and they see us one time you know, things look good, we're able to move on, that sort of thing, and we make a plan for what their pregnancy is going to look like. And those patients who have problems where we need to follow them, maybe it's diabetes, maybe it's hypertension, maybe it's fetal growth or some other fetal problem, I think it's important to get to know them. And I think that's one of the other things as well. It, you need to know where that patient's coming from and you need to know, you know, what their life situation is, you know, how are their other children, what things do they do on a daily basis, all of those things are important. You have to consider that. You have to consider that as to, you know, how easy is it to come to an appointment for this person? You know, what is the best way of delivering care to this person? You know, what types of things does their, their spouse or partner need to know about in planning for their time off? You know, even discussing things that after the baby comes home, starting to introduce that information, that education early in the process, I think is important when there's a high risk condition or, 
you know, when there's something unusual going on like COVID-19, certainly that has changed, you know, some of our, some of our education has changed, um, you know, regarding different aspects of care and when we're going to deliver that care. So I think, you know, looking at the patient not as a problem, but looking at the patient as a person is really, really important in how we deliver care. And that's how you improve outcomes. You can take science and you can know science very well, which is one of the things we focus on. But how you deliver that science and how you deliver that information and that cure is equally important. It feels like that is your mission. You know, I don't know what your written mission is, but that really feels like it is combining science with the person and making sure it's the best approach. Whenever you were treating me, you told me about some incredible things that you were doing that just seemed like, like you were a superhero. It was unbelievable. What are some of the most amazing things that stick out in your mind that you've been able to accomplish to help a baby over this time? Yeah. So I think, I think there's lots of things that we see that are what I would call the unanticipated where we deliver care at really the cutting edge and and really when the unanticipated is going to occur. I think of two different scenarios. One is um, patients who experience um, premature cervical dilation and cervical incompetence in their pregnancy, where there's a risk of losing their baby and that is called early, fortunately, and we're able to place that pregnancy back into the state of into their uterus and, and save that baby through stitching the mom's cervix closed in that stage of pregnancy. Not all of those outcomes are good, but a lot of them can be good when detected early. And so that immediately changes a patient's uh, you know, risk from being very, very <clears throat> high risk for loss of that pregnancy altogether all the way to delivery of a healthy baby at term. And so we've had numerous cases of that. We do focus on that. Um, <clears throat> some of those women who have, have lost a baby, certainly we take care of them as well. That may be a loss of a baby from a critical genetic problem or uh, the baby passed in utero from a condition that we were then able to help remedy such that that patient has a good outcome. And then I think of our <clears throat> babies that are at risk for anemia in utero that need fetal blood transfusion, where we actually have to give a baby blood that's on a shelf on the outside so that it can continue its intrauterine development on the inside. And so we're able to provide babies with that ongoing care where they are able to stay inside for a longer period of time and experience a term delivery as well. So we have lots of interventions that have <clears throat> capabilities. And then <clears throat> when we have individuals that have <clears throat> needs that are outside of that uh, expertise. For instance, if they need fetal surgery or things of that nature, we are closely aligned with people nationally who can provide different levels of fetal surgery and uh, send that patient out. And, and, you know, we've had patients that go out and have cures after a fetal surgery, we continue to follow them and they go on to term and deliver a term healthy baby. And that's very important too. So I think, you know, Maternal fetal medicine is never just one person. Sometimes it's a network of people. And sometimes if you need someone who can operate on your baby in Euro, we have that capability. We have expertise in different areas nationally, depending upon what a person needs and what that specific um, outcome demands in that case. So I think those are situations that are very important. One of the other things that <clears throat> I've had an interest in in the past and worked with is obstetrical trauma. Things like women who are in car accidents. No one plans to be in a car accident and no one plans to have, you know, an adverse outcome with that, but also helping take care of those patients and, and monitoring and taking care of those patients post motor vehicle accident or even at the time of 
you know, a presentation with motor vehicle accidents is still very important to us. And so there's the normal things that just happen that we don't have control over. And sometimes we get involved in those as well. And that's very, very, um, it's, it's good to be a comfort to a patient who is very fearful of the unknown and fearful of the future and be able to instill them with the hope and with the care that they need to get through that process going forward. Listening to you and all of the different things that you do, and I know pre-COVID, you used to travel to other facilities and treat other patients in different states. And I am also a Facebook friend of yours, so I will look on your Facebook and I'll see you're doing great things, going places. You have a wife and two sons. They're active in activities, so you're going to things with them. You're you know, traveling for all of these different, um, you know, the journals that you're part of, the boards that you're part of. All of these different things you just mentioned, like accident, car accidents, you can't predict when those things are going to happen. How in the world do you do this? I'm convinced that there must be a clone or two because you do everything with endless energy and care and seem to be excelling at every level of them. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. It's good support at home, number one. Um, I'm fortunate to have a wife who, um, you know, understands that process, understands some of the unpredictability of things, and that sort of thing. And uh, that keeps me going. Also, having had two children of my own, you know, and seeing that process, I think is very important. And then just thinking back to all of the patients that we have helped and seeing what their outcomes are like and seeing that that's the energy that just keeps you going in this specialty. I think that, you know, there's two ways to look at health. You can look at health from the population standpoint. And I think that's very important. That's the science side. In other words, what is the best thing for everyone out there? But then the day to day, what keeps you going is what have I done for the people I see day in and day out? And I think that's really important. And having a, focus on that is critical in a physician's well-being. In other words, looking at like how you operate day to day and why do you get up at 5 a.m. and start work and why do you end at 10 p.m. reviewing this manuscript for this journal or reviewing this manuscript for this journal or looking at this study and vaccination um, outcomes. Those things are very important in, you know, fueling your capability and fueling your desire to continue on. You know, part of our family and especially are our patients and, you know, seeing those cards come in with those babies and seeing them grow up and, you know, what happens with them and where they're at today. And uh, that's, that's a reward enough, I think, to keep you going. So that's very important. What, where did this interest in this come from? Because to me, it's always surprising to see a man in a field where, again, a woman doesn't typically get referred to unless she's having a condition. How would you ever get exposed to that? So it was kind of interesting. When I, when I came into medical school, the plan was to be a surgeon. And, you know, I really explored that pretty deeply. You know, I looked at general surgery and academic setting, um, you know, of large tertiary care centers. I looked at general surgery in the setting of, of community-based systems like where I grew up in Anderson County and, and uh, Anderson Area Medical Center. So I actually went and looked at all of those different things. And when you're going through medical school, one of the things that's fortunate is that uh, you're exposed to every aspect of medicine. So in other words, you go through rotations, you look at different things, and you kind of um, feel a connection, I think, to, to certain things. And so when I was coming through medical school, surprisingly internal medicine, you know, I loved internal medicine, you know, they really focus on 
the specifics. I am uh, very type A. I am very specific focused. And so that was one of the things I really enjoyed. Um, however, sometimes we could focus on things that were very specific for hours. So for instance, you might start at 6 a.m. focusing on something and you're still focused on it at two or three o'clock in the afternoon, but you haven't necessarily fixed the problem. And that was a little frustrating. But then you also didn't have surgery. You know, there was no procedural surgical component to that. So went to surgery and enjoyed surgery. And then came obstetrics. And obstetrics is the best of both worlds. I think that, you know, you work in the land of medicine because you're improving outcomes through the application of medicine to women who are pregnant, uh, which requires special expertise and care. But then you're also operating and you're still, you know, in the surgical arena. So it was kind of a, a best of both worlds. And I said, well, you know, maybe I'll look at GYN oncology and do surgical cancer care and that sort of thing. And so went through the rotations then in obstetrics, you know, and did four years of training in obstetrics and gynecology. After going through all of those experiences, you know, had an interest in research, had an interest in preeclampsia, fortunately had great mentors that I worked with that, you know, had an expertise in preeclampsia. And that led to a lot of other opportunities. And so basically, you know, worked a lot in preeclampsia, ended up working um, in some specialty scientific areas that really, uh, allowed me additional training um, in clinical trials and clinical trial design and, um, you know, conduct of research, that sort of thing. So that was very fortunate as well. But um, it was a combination of things. What I did not enjoy were areas where I felt like that you were more of a technician and not necessarily developing a connection to the patient. So in other words, if you had no continuity of care, say, for instance, someone has an appendicitis, you know you had an appendicitis, but the amount of time you spent with your surgeon was minimal. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you may or may not even remember who that person is. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was, but it certainly was a critical part of your life and they did an important thing for you. So I think that continuity of care was also important. It's one of the things that I enjoyed. That makes total sense hearing you talk about it. it. All the things that you love about this makes so much sense just knowing you, you know, a little bit as a person that I do. So final question, where do you think you and maternal fetal medicine are going to be in five years? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you take it year by year. I mean, I think that's always an interesting question is where are we going? I think that, you know, part of the way that we treat uh, patients in obstetrics is going to begin to look at more of a personalized approach. It's going to look at personalized risk factors. It's We're already starting to do that. Um, we're looking at interventions that can be applied to specific populations to improve outcomes. I think some of those things are going to be found out non-invasively, meaning that, uh, you know, the ability to draw blood. We're learning about this in cancer now. What things can you learn about your cancer and your risk for cancer by drawing your blood? Well, the next question is, what can you learn about how we should take care of your baby by drawing the mom's blood? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, what are the specifics? What are the things that we can actually optimize uh, for that pregnancy through very non-invasive, you know, uh, or as minimally invasive as blood draws and things of that nature? How do we do that? How do we optimize imaging? I mean, one of the things that has dramatically changed over my uh, training when I was when I was a medical student, a lot of people now have 3D pictures of their baby. They don't realize that, that when I was a medical student, ultrasound machines could do that in the very late phases. But the way it worked is you came in, we took an ultrasound of your baby, and the next day I could see the picture because the computer took 
you know, more than 12 hours to render the image. Now we can see that stuff in real time. And it's kind of one of those things, sometimes technology comes before application. And that has really been one of the things I think, you know, with 3D that has happened is that the technology came before the full understanding of application was there. And so now we're getting into a lot of those areas and looking at how that can improve outcomes as well. So imaging quality has changed. I think that will continue to change. And then we'll continue to look at, you know, the science and where it's going and really optimize how to provide clinical care to the individual patient. That's what will always remain important is, is we need to know how to take care of the, the masses. We need to know how to take care of, you know, all pregnancies, but we also need to know what is best for which patients. And that's very important going forward. Thank you so much. I look forward to everything that you're going to do. Thank you so much, Dr. Robinson, for being here. And thank all of you guys for watching. Bye.